some of you more mature listeners of Whiskey Business may relate to this more than others. And by mature, I just mean older. Because trust me, I can be as juvenile as the youngest whiskey drinker out there. But I remember when I was living with my grandparents in Steubenville, Ohio, on a Monday through Friday, like a clockwork routine at 5.30 p.m. would come the call for supper. By 5.45, plates were full, and the eating with whatever recaps of the day would commence. Usually from my grandmother, notes of gossip and who was sick or dying in the Greek community followed up with either scorn or pity, depending on who the talk was about. Then by 6.15, my grandfather's first cup of coffee after dinner was poured, and by 6.30, the second cup was on his tray next to his chair in front of the television while he waited for the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite to find out what was going on in the world since he had read the morning paper. That's how you got updated back then. Now, before you even look at a paper, if you still subscribe to that ancient piece of parchment, you can wake up to a Twitter feed, a Facebook thread, and a gallery of photos on Instagram. Who's waiting till 6.30 p.m. in a chair in front of a TV? Oh, me. I'm Dino Tripodis, and welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. And the guest bottle tonight is a classic one, perfectly suited for conversations, debates, and idle discussions. Jameson's Special Reserve 12-year-old Irish whiskey for my guest, news director for the Columbus Radio Group, and an integral part of our morning show here at Sunny 95 in Columbus, Ohio, Whiskey business enthusiast, uh, welcome Clark Donnelly. Also, a fine bottle of Irish whiskey in his own in his own right. <laughs> welcome, uh, buddy. Well, thanks for having me. No, man, it's been a long time. I've been wanting to do this and sit down with you to talk about news. You've been news director. You've been here at Sunny ninety five for how many years? Longer than me. Yeah, I started here on Bill Clinton's inauguration day. Did so you that really? Nineteen ninety three was my that, first day of work. Th- January twentieth. That was day one. Yeah. That was day one. Which is a good day one. Yeah. Because it's fairly well scripted. Yeah. You know, you don't walk into something unknown. You know what's going to happen. So that's 1993. It's now 2017. That adds up to 24 years to me. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much close. Okay. But what was the very first gig in the news world? First gig in news world, full time, was news director at uh, WATH WXTQ in Athens, Ohio. Uh-huh. A lot of people say, and I tell them I worked in Athens, a lot of folks assume I went to OU. I didn't. Yeah. I just read the ad in the trades and sent in my audition tape, and they hired me. Just uh, like that. How old are you? Uh, that is 1982, so I'm 24 years old. Wow. I spent about three and a half years as a disc jockey, starting <laughs> my first... I've known the man for 24 years, and this is the first I'm hearing <laughs> that he was actually... A disc jockey. Please, I, go on. I figured when I was in college and I tried out at the you know, student-operated a volunteer radio station that I could spend the rest of my life sitting around in a Hawaiian shirt, in shorts, spinning rock and roll records, you know, in the early morning or the late evening or whatever it happened to be. So my first full-time job is St. Ignace, Michigan in February of 1979. There were four feet of snow on the ground. There wow. was still four feet of snow on the ground in May. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What kind of station? What, what was the it format? It was a 5,000-watt AM daytimer, uh-huh. which FCC regulations would require us to sign on and sign off at what was known as local sunrise and local sunset. We basically had to get out of the way of more powerful stations like right. WJR and WLW KMOX. So our broadcast day in the winter would start at like 6 <laughs> you know, and I'm and so I would go in and I would you know flick the switch, turn the transmitter on, it would hum, things would glow, and then we would sign off at five thirty or six in the evening. I mean, it was barely more than a five nine to five job. Wow! Because sunrise and sunset in sure. that part of the country is so it, the day is so short. Did you have uh, 
a jock name, or did you go by Clark Donnelly? No, I tried a jock name in, in college, and my soon-to-be future ex-wife ridiculed me well, so unmercilessly <laughs> that I just went back to using my real name. What was it? <laughs> Clark Donahue. Clark, <laughs> <laughs> Clark Donahue. Yep. What? <laughs> See, I think I think you understand that she made the right decision. She would, yeah. she would anytime she wanted to ridicule me after that, was she would that call be, me that by name. Was that because Donahue. Phil Donahue was a was a known entity so, yeah. back then? Yeah, so that... I didn't want to venture too far from my name, and so oh. yeah, that was kind of the next name that suggested itself. Okay, so <laughs> I never had anything fun like Nicaragua or anything goofy like that. Uh, I just, no, once once no, I gave no, up on no, that, I went straight. Me, knowing you as well as I know you, Clark Donahue <laughs> is is like the genius perfect name <laughs> yes. for yeah. you as a jock. That's that's the one where he woke up in the middle of the night and went, I've got it! <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it. I was expecting Ace Cosby or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Well, oh, it's going to be difficult enough living with the two of you from now on. Yeah. <laughs> You've been a news director here at Sunday Night Five, like I said, for 24 years. Uh, was it was that always what you wanted to do? Always what you wanted to be? Was that was this the vocation that you were thinking about nope. when when you were growing up? And nope, what, what, what was it? Not well. And Let me say something. Clark Donnie's a very smart man. He's a very educated man. Uh, he's probably one of the best read people I know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Interesting that you say novelist because I, I kind of know that about you, but I didn't know if it was still a burning desire. I don't think so anymore. I've tried it. I wrote a full-length novel, in, in my opinion, I think when I was in 10th grade. Uh-huh. It, was a, it was a caper story that took place in Rome. And I went out and I got the Michelin Guide for Rome, and I looked at streets and I looked at stuff, and these people stole a statue out of a museum in Rome and then could not get rid of it. Kind of the hot rock, uh-huh. only with a big statue. And that was my novel. It was 125 or 150 pages long. And you were in the 10th grade. Isn't that funny? When I was in the 10th grade, I wrote my first, what I thought to be a movie script in the 10th mm-hmm. grade. You know, a crime drama with, you know, a, a drug drama with a, with a big uh, a Greek uh, kingpin behind it all. Yeah. And- I think that's when your, your youthful optimism and enthusiasm coincides with some fairly maturing and sophisticated skills and you finally feel up to the task of tackling something that you've wanted to do and it's like now I think I've got it I've got I've learned enough words uh-huh. I've got enough paper I've got the typewriter an old <laughs> manual I know you'd be proud of that oh, um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it I'm gonna do it and and I did it well you forget I don't throw away anything and right. I I still have some of the stuff that you gave me, what, maybe 15, 10, 15 years ago? Um, that was, uh, I think it was a, uh, it was a detective type mm-hmm. of Floridian type of character at a sailboat. Yeah, sailboat on Lake Erie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not not Floridian. I'm, I'm thinking, no, you're... You, you, I, I know, it was a little derivative of, of uh, Travis, John D. McDonald John and Travis, Travis McGee. McGee. A little yeah, bit, a little bit, a little bit. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But, but good. And I'm like, yeah, I still have it. I, I, still, well, I finished it, and it just, it... It didn't catch on with any agents or anything like that, and I got distracted, and I finally... So you did send it out? Um, yeah, I tried to get some people interested in it, and I was... I Why don't you self-publish it? Because um, I'm probably too lazy to retype it, because it's been <laughs> lost. Yeah, right. Now, I didn't save it on the right kinds of discs, right. so it's I've got a hard copy of it somewhere, Yeah, but I'd have to go in there. And I, I know everything I did wrong, Yeah, and so I would want to do an entirely different one, but I've almost... I just think that's not really where my skills lie, is making something up out of whole cloth and creating characters and things you, that are memorable and that the reader can identify with and get involved in. Do you think it's because you have to deal with the truth every day? Nope. I think that's why I deal with the truth every day. Because I think if I had the skill to make up those things, if I had that much creativity, if I was that good at it, then I would have found another path. I would have been a disc jockey. I would have been a better disc jockey because one of the things that drove me nuts in that three and a half years was trying to come up with something different to say every day out of thin air. <laughs> uh-huh. This was before, you know, there were uh, you know prep services that were emailed right. to you in the morning. I mean, you kind of were going by what's in the newspaper or what you saw in the morning news. And 
it just it just wasn't coming. You know, it was it was trying to get blood out of a turnip, and so I think I need the raw material of facts, truth, you know, events, in order for me to describe them in the way that I think is best understood by the listener or the reader, not to simply invent something out of thin air. Historical fiction. Abraham Lincoln Vampire tried Hunter. One of, I tried a few of those. I started a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, Bill O'Reilly's done right. all, all right with it. Sure. I mean, why, sure. should, why, a, why can't good... Clark Donahue? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long It's going to be a long podcast. I'm not going to let that one go. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I want to talk about news the way it is today and how you get it and how you digest it and present it to the to the public on a daily basis as opposed to you know back then when you first started doing the news i mean let's let's go back first so let's the, travel back in time let's, boys and let's girls. go back to that to that first uh real news gig where you're gathering the news and you're presenting it you know take me take me through that that morning what's going on how are you getting it i mean what's what's your what's your process what's what's a priority i mean and and um you know how how are you Getting your scoops, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, I was doing primarily local news for a small town radio station in a very interesting small town because Athens, although it is a small town, it still has four full-time radio stations, a television station, and during the school year, two daily newspapers. <laughs> That's a okay. lot of media a lot for of a media. small town. Sure. So we were pretty competitive. But since I only had to worry about local and state news, I would you know, make check calls. I would call the sheriff's offices and the police departments around that part of Ohio, find out if they had anything. We had a network okay. that did all of our ne- all of our national stuff. So, you know, my focus was pretty narrow, but I had a wire machine, you know, the great big old loud ticker, you know, in the back room. There were nails stuck out of the wall labeled, you know, world, U.S., Ohio, local, <laughs> weather, stocks, business, yeah. you know, and you'd tear off the piece of paper, make you know, and then you'd stick it on that spike and you'd... And, and you'd keep sticking it, and of course, if you didn't go in there and clear it away every now and then, the room would fill up like, you know, laundry suds would have filled up Lucy Ricardo's room <laughs> back in the day, you know? And so I would take all of that raw material, retype some of that, and there were a couple of audio services I could use. On Monday nights, I would go to the city council meeting, so I would have audio from that. Okay. If there had been some, you know, something during the day beforehand, I would have something from that. But um, those were my main tools. And things have not changed drastically in all that time. I still rely very heavily on the AP, Uh the wire services, still rely very heavily on calling out to people. Um, And the thing that has changed the most is, as you alluded to in your opening, the technology. Right. Not just how news is disseminated, but how it is gathered. Because those Facebook posts and those Twitter feeds and that Instagram, those are also tools for us because newsmakers are using them. I believe our president is a prime example (laughs) of someone who makes news almost every other day based on something that he tweets out. Um, And so... uh, you know, then then it was just a matter of getting you know standing in front of the control room in, in in the front of the microphone and reading the news. And at noon there would be a one hour news block, so I'd have a lot of news to read. And then I would do a live interview with the, you know, the executive director of the the pet shelter. And you know then I'd finish up with something that may have been recorded and and shipped to us in the mail. And you know it was it was very it was very I don't want to say tedious. There was just a lot of it. Right. Back in those days, um, this was back when, you know, Mutual was still on the air. Larry King was still on radio right. before he'd even gone to CNN. And I did uh, basically an almost an audio version of the newspaper. You know, I just there were a lot of stories that were very long, a lot of detail, not the kind of short headline snippets that you're used to hearing on the radio today. You mentioned Larry King. Uh, who were some of your broadcast heroes, idols, or, you know, Somebody you learned off of mentors, or or did you have any? I mean, I mentioned Walter Cronkite early on. I mean, that was the I think he was kind of for, for our generation. He was the most trusted, and he was in a sense the gold standard. But you couldn't emulate or imitate Walter. Right. Um, I think I leaned more towards the ABC guys, the Harry Reasoner, Frank Reynolds, and then when Peter Jennings came along, I just straight out imitated him. Really? Yeah. I watched how he did things when I was on television. I listened to how he used his voice. 
He had that great Canadian diction. And so a lot of what I do, I modeled after him. I just thought he was the... What was different about his approach? Nothing. That was why I liked it. It was even. It was well modulated. It was interesting. He varied his pitch. He, he verbally punctuated well. He presented his material very, very well, but not in an idiosyncratic style. Right. You couldn't imitate Peter Jennings. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could imitate Walter Cronkite, but Peter Jennings was just one of those. And do you felt like he he cut through? I mean, you know, it connected better with with that style. I think it, it may have just matched up with my voice, uh-huh. the way that I use my voice anyway. I just needed a model to imitate in the way that I read broadcast news copy on the radio and television. Hmm. Now, when I got the sports, that was a totally different matter because I was all about the boomer. And was that? Chris Berman. <laughs> was, was that a happy accident or mm-hmm. was that part of the plan? Because you, no. uh, you, did, you did television sports. You were on TV. Yeah. On Channel 6 yeah. here in Columbus, Ohio, where we broadcast from. I remember, yep. and you were good. I thank you. I appreciate that. You were really good. Thank you. No, I uh, I I wanted to come to Columbus because I I knew the town from from going to college at Ohio State. I liked it. It's an easy town to live in. Had small kids. It's a good town to raise kids in, as we all know. And I thought if I could get to a town the size of Columbus, I could parlay radio into trying television. You know, if you're going to be in broadcasting. Right. You want to at least not close your mind to that. And so if an opportunity came Interesting, up, so... because I've never had any desire to do television as I, far as broadcasting goes. I, maybe it's just one of those challenges that you put out there for yourself. You know, in your, in, in you know, our uh-huh. chosen profession, that's a challenge that you might say, I'm going to meet that challenge. That's not easy. Not everybody can do that. I'm going to try. I may fall flat on my face, which I did. Got fired from my first TV job. Only at, job, only job I've ever been fired from in television mm-hmm. was it Channel Six? No, it was Channel Ten. Channel Ten. But oh, you made the rounds, did you? <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, but I made enough audition material that they hired me in Channel Six. Uh huh. Guy says you look like you've taken a forearm shiver in your day. Go back and work in the sports department. And oh wait a minute, what, what were you doing at Ten? I was an assignment editor, which is an off-air position, but I also did some on-air reporting. So you weren't doing just, sports at Ten? Nope. Oh, nope, doing this I did not know. General, general assignment. I didn't even know about reporting. Channel 10, to be honest with well, you. Well, that might have been one of your periods when you were out of town. If you blinked, you missed it. I don't think I was there more than about a year and a half, and I okay. was not on the air very much at all. So well, the thing I accomplished is I did one of the first satellite live shots in Columbus TV history, showing you how the, how the technology is already starting to evolve. By the mid-'80s, Columbus gets its first sat truck, Channel 10. Wow. And... I went down to Hamilton, Ohio, where we had a cellular phone, but there were no cellular towers. So I was taking cues. We made the phone and forgot something. Yeah. So I was taking cues from someone at the camera who was taking a cue from someone at the satellite truck who was getting a cue from someone in the living room of a house wow. across the street wow. who was getting that, a cue from the station. That just, it had to have been pretty rugged. That's that's inst- <laughs> to, to say that out loud, for and that being, you know, the... The way it had to be—that just sounds insane. Yeah. Now, today, right. to say that's the way we're—that's the way we're going to have to get this on the air. But you, you'd laugh, Hansberry. I yeah. do laugh. You—you—you you, you would laugh. They're so easy. You are now. laughing. I yeah. am laughing. They're so easy now that. What was the story? Since it was the it was a gas day. explosion, leveled a house. Oh, there was wow. nothing left of this house, and there may have been a fatality involved. But the the sports thing, <clears throat> even though I played high school football, I wasn't much of an athlete and wasn't much of a sports fan. But there, the guy says, "Like, what am I going to say? No." Right. Now I've got there's there's twelve people in the news department and there's three people in sports. Which is going to be the quickest route to stardom? Sure. Go 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 back once. You're not a sports fan. Not a huge sports fan. No. Really? No, I enjoy it and probably more because I did that job than I would have left to my own devices. And at the time, I really wasn't much of a sports fan at all. I didn't know very much about it. When they gave me the job, I had been doing sideline reporting for the OSU Football Network, but that was a very that was not a very involved job. I, you know, there were, I didn't have to know much about football to do that. I just had to run up and down the sidelines and tell them who got hurt. But when I got the job at Channel 6, I started getting books in the library on football and baseball and learning about the sports. And as I went, 
And that's when I started imitating the people on ESPN. <clears throat> that's when I started listening to how they phrased things and, and what they said and what sort of little tidbits of information they would bring to their sportscasts that I would then try to go in and understand and glean. And so learn a little bit about the ins and outs of car racing and golf and Olympic diving and all the weird stuff that you would have to put on TV at 6 and 11 o'clock on a weekend. So the news Clark Donnelly and sports Clark Donnelly. They've never met. Those were two different personas on the air? The only time they met was when Butch Reynolds was suing the uh, Track and Field Federation, the Athletic Federation, to be allowed to go to the Olympic trials in spite of his doping charges. I got to do some stand-ups outside the federal courthouse, and Carol Looper, veteran news person out here in Columbus, said, boy, I didn't know you could do that. It's like, yeah, I did news for a while. I know my way around a courthouse. I know what an injunction is. What do you know? I know what an injunction is, and I know what a crackback block is. <laughs> I'm your man. <laughs> Give me a little taste of uh, of uh, Clark Donnelly, sports guy, for those who who might not have had a an opportunity to enjoy that. Um, let's just I'll give you I'll, I'll just give you a quick scenario. Recently here, Cavaliers lose, you know, lose the NBA championship. They they lose. They you know they're out. So how would you have been reporting that back then as Clark Donnelly? Cavs lost the rubber match of their ongoing feud with the Golden State Warriors. So LeBron James may be the greatest player in the world, but Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and crew were better as a group than the Cavs were as a group. So better luck next year. I was better at the play-by-play. Okay. The, well, give me some play-by-play. Well, I mean, because what know. we would do is, since all the sports comes in late, right? We're a fr- that's a frantic part of the newsroom in a TV station because all the things are timed to end on the Eastern Time Zone. All timed to end around ten thirty. So you're cutting your highlights and stuff, and then you're going down. You don't have time to put in scripts. You don't have time to do anything. All you have time to do is write down some things, if you're lucky. And so I had developed a shorthand system for writing down names and numbers. And so Eddie George takes the handoff on the 40-yard line. Look at him. He cuts left. And look at him go. He could go all the way. You know, that's when I would start to channel, you know, Berman or somebody else. And... And just react to what I was seeing on the screen. Uh-huh. Okay. You know? Look at that spin move. Isn't that beautiful? Uh-huh. And, well, look and at... then I would go back to that then uh, and train to golf. <laughs> back to golf. Back to, just, back to Peter Jennings. Oh, yeah, man. Exactly. Uh, so did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy sports I broadcasting? Like sports. I like sports. If I was ever to do TV, I would do sports. because You go back to sports. Yeah, it's, it's fun. They're games. I don't care what you say. They're games. And nothing serious is at stake. Most of the time, there are no fatalities. People do not die. Right. Few, you know, the fortunes of empires and nations do not rise and fall <clears throat> based on a best of seven series. And so, but would a sports story like Tiger Woods would that fall into yeah. into sports? Would you? You know, that's kind of serious. That's kind of dramatic. Serious, and, and more than likely, the news department would have taken it away from you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, when those sports figures transcend sports, the news right. side will take over, and they'll go ahead and they'll want it for would that. But pi- some, would that piss you off? It, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably would because I couldn't be, I wouldn't be able to return the favor. I can't go in and take a five alarm fire and put it in sports. So you know, and you build up relationships with these people. And if it's someone you know, if it's a coach, John Cooper or Robert Smith or Greg uh, or, or Randy Ayers, you know, someone you know, and suddenly there's they're making news. And some news guy who only knows how to cover murders and fires takes the story away from you. Right. Yes, you are very resentful. Hmm. But most of the time, they found a way to get you in there because they want to they put their staff on, on display. And if, if they can get a sports person to do a sports story, you know, in the news block, they're fine with that, you know, most of the time. Every now and then, though, you will get one that... In the words of news directors, transcend sports. And I will use that phrase if I have not already. <laughs> You'll hear me say that. Let me dive into a, a, a stereotype, if you will, the hard-drinking sports journalist as he pours. Because I want to. <laughs> as I pour a glass of milk. <laughs> no, no, you're pouring you're some of the up. Jameson's 12 Special Reserve. Gives me an opportunity because this is whiskey business. We do like we to talk about. Remember the whiskey. The, the whiskey yeah. It's looking lonely then. over there. Um, aged in bourbon barrels. For those of you who want to know a little bit about Jameson's and sherry casks as well. That's why you get a little bit of uh, the sherry sweetness in there, which uh, which is almost overpowering until you get the, uh, you know, your your caramels and your malts in there to kind of bring back and, and the grain alcohol to get in there to get the whiskey back into it. Yeah. Um, 
But Jameson's is, is <coughs> Jameson's just a, a fine, a fine, fine Irish fine whiskey. whiskey. A nice, like I said, sherry-like sweetness, and um, it's a little pricey. It uh, it falls into the, but it's under the fifty and under a bottle that I that I look right, for. Yeah. It seems like this one always pops up more frequently during you know St. Patrick's you Day. You can't right? find it during yeah, the Christmas yeah. holidays, New Year's, and St. Patrick's Day. It's uh, very yeah, hard for to those find holidays. It. But I don't, I don't think that's right because it's a good conversational. I was drinking Jameson pour. before Jameson was cool. I, I believe that. Else I remember was that. Bushmills. I, I was drinking that. Jameson. I remember that. Now I'm drinking Bushmills because it's cheap. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the image of the hard-drinking journalist in general, because that's the image of the journalist, uh-huh. is, you know, everybody clears out of the newsroom. Come on in here, Sadie. I want to give you some advice. Yeah. And you open the door at your desk or, with your green eye shade on, and you pull out the bottle of whiskey, and you pour out a little bit in each coffee cup. Uh-huh. You know, when I started this business as a newsboy in 1909, and, you know, there is there is something to that. but I, It has I don't, to start from somewhere. It's got to come from truth. Maybe maybe now exaggerated through oh, television it, uh, totally and movies. It's totally but... exaggerated now. I think that the the for journalist of the pre Watergate era. So you're going to disappoint was, me because no, you're going no, dis- to make, you're gonna make me sad. I'm because not. I want to think of that hard boiled journalist that you know that's yeah. that's right. typing out the story. Most of these know, people, cigar. most yeah. of these people have that. retired but are still alive. So I'll get to it. But pre Watergate. Most of those journalists were not college educated. They came up through the ranks. They did start as newsboys. They were blue collar types, you know, and drinking was a part of the culture, especially after prohibition was repealed. And so there probably was something to that. It was almost just like detectives. It was almost certainly right. exaggerated. It didn't all walk around with a hip flask in their pocket. Now, when we did Friday Night Football on a television station here in Columbus. Uh-huh. Usually someone was in charge of buying a couple of 12 packs. <laughs> right. So that when we got back to the station and we had a frantic hour or maybe less to edit three packages of 2 minutes a piece of highlights from high school football games, we would in the editing base just throw them back. And that was I mean that was as close as it got to drinking on the job was just that feeling that you had got you'd flown in the helicopter or you'd driven you know all the way out to you know uh Madison Plains but then you had to cut back and and stop in at Westland High School for the second half of that game <laughs> and you got to get back to the station by 10 and you've got until 11:15 to get your package on the air and you're frantic and you're frantic but you know nothing tastes better than a cold beer going cold right beer. at that moment yeah. <laughs> but and when you work until 11 o'clock and you have been under extreme deadline pressure and it's even worse on television and it's even worse on television sports wow can't imagine and when that is done you go to the nearest bar with your makeup still on your hairspray still on tie (laughs) shirt sport coat shorts bare feet right and you start ordering up booze because you are absolutely freaked right the hell out So you scale that mountain that's television journalism, mm-hmm. sports and whatnot, and then you come to radio. So that mm-hmm. had to be like, uh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It was just wonderful. Um, and it was one of those happy, it was another happy accident. All these stories have been happy accidents. Tell me about the happy accident. Right place, right time. Tell Boss me. came to me in right around the first of the year in 1993 and said, look, I want to let you know your contract is going to be up before your other guys, and we need to make a change. And so we're going to have to. You know, you're going to have to go first. I'm sorry. It's not personal. It's not that you're a bad guy. It's not that you're doing a bad job. They want to make a change. They want to make it fast. I think maybe a week or two later, I saw in the radio TV column in the newspaper that R.C. Bauer, the news director here, had left. So I picked up the phone. I called the program at the time. He said, well, why would a sports guy be able to do news? I said, I was an award-winning news guy before I did sports. Oh, you threw an award-winning? Oh, Oh, yes. Ah, Might as well Ah, mention it. Award-winning. What was the award? Uh, Good one, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was it? It was 40 years ago, dude. What was no, it? Come it was, on. Um, you know exactly what it was for. Good attendance. Best series, <laughs> best spot news, maybe. I don't know. There were a couple of them. Most days on the air in a row. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. It was something I stand in box tops for, but it was an award. Boom. I left Channel 6 on a Friday, 
and I came to here on a Monday. That quick. The most seamless transition of my career. So so you got the gig here, at, at which at the time was just Sunny 95, mm-hmm. and now we're the Columbus Radio Group. We have a few other stations under yeah, our yeah, belt. No you resp- your responsibilities have increased. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, I remember you being here doing the news, and I remember our day would be done, for the most part, by 11, 11.30, yeah. and, and we could go out. And it still is. It yeah. just isn't as much going out. There's not as much day drinking as there was back in the '90s. Um, yeah, we did some. We did some. No, yeah. no, th- th- this is this is not going to blemish or tarnish your reputation. This is ancient history. Too, it's too way too late in my life to worry about blarnish, yeah. bar, blarnishes or but, uh, blemishes. <laughs> but we, yeah, we we uh, no, we would go out and day drink on occasion. We would do some you day know, drinking day, and we do some night drinking. Yeah. As we are in the the new world of news. Bombarded with it 24-7 on television and, of course, now with social media. Um, how has fake news affected what you do in the, in the last year or so? I think it has not affected me because it has always, in some fashion, been there. Or, One of the reasons... Or has fake news actually become part of your news? Um, I mean, wow. it, it's as far as reporting what's fake news, not that... You're, you know, you're you're reporting fake news. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm saying the phenomenon of, of of fake news has that become part of what you do as far as reporting. It has people? to be. It has to be an element, but it always has been, because one of the things that we and I'm going to call myself the establishment or the mainstream media or whatever because I don't want. mind, because I I appreciate those titles because one of the things that well one of the things that made Walter Cronkite the most trusted man in America why uh-huh. your grandpa wanted to sit there and watch him every night at six thirty is it didn't matter whether somebody said the moon was made of green cheese or the Russians were marching down Elm Street, there would be no bullshit from Walter. Right. He would tell you what was going on and you could believe him. And in an era when there is so much misinformation and disinformation out there, not only from people in power or foreign governments or other media sites, but simply from your Aunt Sally who shares that Facebook post about that thing that happened that never <laughs> happened. And it is But she knows somebody. She knows somebody because and, and that person de- has a friend. Absolutely. Who and saw it, it definitely happened to her. Uh-huh. It is our job in the mainstream media to continue to do what we did and have always done, and that is talk to people, ask questions, get facts, check facts, and then report to the folks what we know to be as accurate as we possibly can at that time. I think we are like the four men in a dark room. Each one has a hold of a different part of an elephant. And none of them can guess what kind of elephant they have. None of them guess it's an elephant. But I think we are at least in a room where the lights have been turned up a little bit. And so we can guess it's an elephant. One of us has the leg, one of us has the side of the elephant, one has the tail, one has the trunk. and so. But we're not willing to say, this is an elephant in the room, until we can, can you know, could attribute that to someone we trust, or we can kind of come to some kind of an agreement, or somebody turns up the lights and we see it. And so, and you hear us say something and report something, it's something that we believe is as close to the complete truth as we can get on this day. And part of that is... Part of that involves debunking myths, and it has always been that way. Right. Uh, for as long as there has been mass media, there has been this battle between what people hear and what actually probably happened. What what spooks me a little bit is the the tendency for some people to label any news they disagree with as fake. I see. That if they don't me. agree with it, then it's got to be fake news. Right, and that bothers me because one of the most tro- one of the most troublesome things about the last twenty five years has been, and I, I I both blame and credit Roger Ailes for this, is the use of political ideology as a ratings tool. Uh huh. He took he brought yeah. television into politics in the seventies, and he brought politics into television in the nineties, and he right. did it both very well, and he made a success for himself, but. It has contributed to the divisiveness around this country because now we have brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. For we're either a Fox person or a CNN, CNN person. person right. We are, right. you know, just like Coke or Pepsi, Budweiser right. or Miller. Right. You know, we choose our brand based on our political ideology. 
we, we wall ourselves off from competing viewpoints and we just stay in those silos and that is not good for the republic. Hmm. So over the course of your news career, you know, we, we, we mentioned Cronkite and, you know, Walter delivered the news and you believed what he said. But there were times, I recall, where he was uh, caught up in the moment. I remember him, you know, kind of like being just full of joy and glee when we walked on the moon. Mm -hmm. And I remember him being taken aback at the assassination of JFK. Almost cried, yeah. Give me... Emotion does not mean that... And emotion does not have to undercut your your credibility. Which brings me to my next question. Over the course of your news career, what stories, what's, what's affected you where it would actually... You could actually hear it, feel it. If I was listening to Clark Donnelly reporting the story, I know that this one got to You him. were there. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Yeah. It was 9-11. 9-11. And you were there, and I don't know what impression I made upon you, but I did the very best I could to keep it tracked. You were but amazing. at some point, you reminded me that Danny lived in New York. Yeah. And so I went out on our back deck, and I cried. Yeah. My daughter was actually, I had just moved her in four days prior to 9-11 yeah. at Marymount Manhattan up there and was beside myself. Um, and that brought it home. It made it personal you, to me. It was well, no longer just a news story. It involved someone I knew and liked and cared about. And I had to leave the area. I had to go outside away from the area so you didn't see me, mm-hmm. nobody else saw me, and have a little cry, get it out of my system and come back. Because at a time like that, you don't want to be the guy at the Hindenburg. Right. You don't want to be standing going, oh, the humanity. That is not what people need at that time. They need a calm voice because panicking isn't going to help anybody. And that was Hansberry, uh, producer of the podcast. That's That was a couple of days where, um, and it hasn't happened since, where sure. music was dumped. Um, we didn't get off the air. Clark and I stayed hours, uh, on yeah. the air for hours at the time. That, I will give you complete, full credit and admiration. You were amazing at that particular time. I mean, I followed your lead. I counted on you to deliver the news uh, impartially, which was very hard to do at that time. Very hard to do at that time. I counted on you to give me the information. Then I had to present that information as well with you on the air. Then I had to handle the emotions of our listeners, sure. which was, ex- and I don't mean this in a bad way. It was exhausting. It oh, was. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, I just taking the through load those of, days of that yeah, was exhausting. It's the day that um, where comedy funny boy mm-hmm. coming to Saturday ninety five. That's how I got hired. Sure, that's the day I grew up. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, was a trial by fire for you. That was that was the day that I grew up. And and then Stacy, who was on vacation oh, no. and was I on her way that. back, I was was yeah. Yeah, she was she was on the phone with us as much as she possibly could until she got back. She had to drive back because there were no flights, obviously. Sure. So she was beside herself. And then when we all got back together as one cohesive unit, uh, that was, yeah, that was an amazing couple of days. And I remember when I left the air and went home that day, you said you cried on the back deck. I went home and I threw up. I bet. I don't doubt it for a I second. I threw up violently because yeah. all that, Angst and like all that, that um, for lack of a better word, fear. Yeah. Um, the the uh, you know. Yeah, you have to keep that bottled up. You can't what, let that come what, out. What do you mean? I've got to talk to these people. No, yeah, no, no, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to <laughs> I'm do. The funny uh, I'm supposed to do something funny. <laughs> I'm not the in voice between of a, reason. <laughs> in between a couple of songs. I can't talk about the the state of mind of America. Yeah, that as, was as we faced one of the of worst disasters was, yeah. of of our. See, that's me. I'm easy. I can all I have to do is report the facts as I know them. I don't have to psychoanalyze and I don't have to do anything like that. So, you know, in in one sense, I'll tell you another really difficult day. And this is nowhere near as big a story. But I remember when Dom Tiberi's daughter was killed in that car in that auto accident. Because you know Dom. God, he's he's probably the oldest friend I have in the world. Dom Tiberi. He was one of my first friends that I met in Columbus. We've been friends ever since. Let, and let me give that, a quick little little background because for those who are listening to Whiskey Business in the United Kingdom, we have a Dom Tiberi is also <laughs> a longtime local uh, sportscaster here in town, and his and his daughter was uh, 
was tragically killed in, in a car accident, and and you were friends with Dom. So when you got that news, because had, you know Dom and you know knew his daughter, that affected you. Yeah, yeah but I had to describe it as a news person. Exactly. I had to take all that emotion out. There's been a lot of those stories. Um, <laughs> my daughter spent almost a year in Iraq, and I had to I had to report on that war almost every day, you know, and then get a call from her where I could hear mortar rounds going on in the background. Uh huh. And you know, so. How do you do them, that? Let, how do you do that? I don't know, and I'm not sure I want to know. Okay. I'm not sure I want to know how I compartmentalize like that. I know. It might That's not be the healthy. Word. That is, <laughs> no, but that is the word. It compartmentalizing. Might not be healthy. Oh, I've become uh, so efficient yeah. at compartmentalizing, yes, over the years with everything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a yeah. defense mechanism. It's, it's a gift and it's a curse at the same <laughs> right. time. It really is. But, it, you know, emotion, emotion is not bias or opinion or inaccuracy you don't have to be a robot or an automaton to do this it's job it's not weak in today's no, in today's day and age anybody's in anybody's people understand if something important is happening if man just landed on the moon take off your glasses wipe your eyes and smile for hell's sake because that's what we're all doing you know i was 11 years old you know, I was taken aback. I understood completely what he was going through. That was like one of the most amazing things that's ever happened right. in my life. If the president has just been assassinated, stop and take a breath. Gulp. You know, there's right. nothing wrong with a little emotion. But that can't be your stock in trade. No. And I'm afraid with I'm afraid with cable news, emotion and emotion has become the stock in trade. Outrage, um, Umbridge, for lack of a better word, for our listener in the UK. Um, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things have become part of the presentation. And like I said, the reason I emulated Peter Jennings is because he presented the stories in a, in a fashion that did not lead you to think any way, one way or the other. He wasn't trying to drive you with a raised eyebrow or a tone in his voice, a smirk, anything like that. And that, I think, is where... News in general has kind of lost its way. We're we're letting that in a little bit too much, forgetting uh -huh. of all that body language. When I was taking college classes to be on TV, they said when you're interviewing somebody and the camera is looking at you, when you do the the, the two shot right. or, the, or the or the reverse shot, right. never nod, never mm -hmm. nod, because you don't know where the person who's editing that's going to put that in. Whether where they're going to put the nod in. Your that's, person you're interviewing. Well, well yes. That's, I do believe that we should I, annex Poland and declare war on Russia. And there you are going. Bloop, bloop, bloop. I agree. Yeah. Uh, no, you don't. Can we get a couple clean edits of you guys saying, "Yes, I agree." <laughs> no, those in. no, you won't. Oh, okay. You can't. Like a ringtone. Right. Which leads me to because we're getting close to wrapping up here. Where do you think the future of news is going? And do you think? You'll you'll still be a part of it in in the years to come. How much longer do you want to do this? Um, that really depends on the day and sometimes even the time of day. Right. You know, I'm getting. But where up do there. you think the future of news is future going? Future news is. I, I think it's an interesting time because we're in a very it's, we're in a transition period right now where people. You are the, you are the media uh -huh. because you have access to everything. Right. If you want to go onto the State Department website and read their press releases and write a blog a couple times a week. Welcome to the media. We've got T-shirts. <laughs> All right. And if you, uh, by the same token, you know, if if I, you know, want to use Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever, to get m the news out that I have aggregated using my tired, tried and true right. and establishment methods, what I think we're we're gonna find is that because when I started, the media was totally centralized in at the national level. Few, a few networks, few newspapers, few news magazines, uh -huh. and completely decentralized at the local network. Everybody had a radio station. Every town had two or one or whatever, and the owner lived right there up the street. Now it's completely reversed. Now we have large corporations that own you know, radio stations that are locally oriented but, but lose their local touch. But the national media has exploded. Political, Breitbart, Red State, HuffPost, you name it, everybody's looking at the national. And so... Con consumers of the media have got to become 
more like editors themselves. That's the job that we always took upon ourselves editors and have been blamed themselves for. to decide what they want to listen to and what they want to believe and mm-hmm. edit that portion yeah, of it. Absolutely. There's no reason to assume that just because someone is not at ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, New York Times, whatever, that they're somehow not believable or they're somehow Man. not doing the job. They are. Watch these, you know, watch the Breitbarts, watch the politicals. They're getting more mainstream every day because they're becoming big business. So your job as a news consumer is to choose how you want to get that news. If you want to, you know, choose how you want to get your news, but balance your sources Try to get a variety of different sources and then try to find some places where you go where you can really count on somebody to kind of tell you what's going on. If you have the kind of brain that can read the baseball scores every morning and compute the standings in your head and know whether your team is in first place or last place every day of the baseball season, Mm -hmm. power to you. Great. Good for you. (laughs) I can't. I need to check the standings. And that's what the mainstream and establishment media does. I think that's where we can bring things into perspective, gather all that raw data. That's our job. We do it. We got a bunch of people doing it all day, every day. Gather it and try and put it into some kind of perspective. We also can do better than anybody else looking at important issues. The issues in Ohio today are not whether Ivanka Trump and Marco Rubio had an awkward hug. The issues are economic inequality, an opioid addiction problem, and jobs. And serious journalists can look at those issues in a way that the Breitbarts and the Red States and the HuffPosts cannot. Yeah, but you say that the, the the important issues, but do more people want to hear about the awkward hug? More people want to hear about the awkward hug, but you got to learn how to, you, you got to you got to get people to eat their vegetables now and then. <laughs> this is the argument I have with my boss, our boss. I understand. And she's more I, sympathetic I, than you think. I, I understand. But, I, I, I watch you do that juggling act every morning. Yeah. As far as getting what you feel right. is important, and I, people need and to because, know this, and also keeping it uh, uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of light and airy in there as well, because... Because, we all kind of do do it all together now. And like you said, you're inundated with this right. stuff. You can get it all from all kinds of places. People want a break. We are one of the places where people go to get a break. Right. You know, if you want a hammer, you sell. You can buy a hammer at a store. You can't buy a hammer at the limited. Right. So if you want real, if you want that serious, down and dirty, inside the beltway, you're going to get inside it. baseball news. You know where to go. You know where to go. Uh, that is not the news that I am being paid to present to you folks right at this time. And you're okay in with juncture. that. And I am okay with okay. that. And because I'm having fun doing it because of you guys. And I understand that with a little bit of sugar, you know, that teaspoon, sure. full of, teaspoon of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right. I hope, but what the challenging thing is how do you pick the story that day that you really want people to know about? Today it might be, uh, you know, a shooting. Tomorrow it might be, uh, you know, shooting us, shooting down a Syrian jetliner, a Syrian warplane. It may be North Korea tomorrow. But doesn't that keep it interesting for you to have to be able to dissect that a little yeah. bit and to kind of figure out, yeah. well, you know, how am I going to play this today? Yeah, it's not I as mean, obvious. It used to be yeah. no brain stuff. I mean, you'd come in, oh, was there a murder? Well, that's my first story. Was there a fire? <laughs> that's my second story. Was there a traffic accident? That's my third story. Did somebody do something in Washington? Right. That's my fourth story. That's five minutes. Bye-bye. See ya. Then. Yeah. Now? No, you got to really well, think about what your folks, your listeners and your readers, whatever, what they really want, but at the same time, try to give them what they really need. Well, even though I have access to Twitter and Instagram and all of those sites that you mentioned, there's still a part of me that that likes to read a newspaper in the morning and see what actually made the paper. Sometimes it's almost a checklist for me. I like to see, oh man, they got this in. Even though and they, that that happened pretty late in the or early in the morning and they got it in. And you then appreciate it, it as a medium. Yeah, and then at nighttime, I still like to watch the 6.30 news to see, okay, let me see, out of everything I've heard today, let me see what they've chosen that they consider to be 
news of the day. Which is exactly what your grandpa did. Right. Because he went about his business after he read the morning paper, and mm-hmm. he heard the rumors, and he heard his friends' opinions, and he heard his co-workers or his customers or whatever, and he heard the chatter and the babble. Right. And what he wanted to do was sit down with that second cup of coffee in front of the TV, probably a 20-inch black and white, and uh, watch Uncle Walter tell him, after all that mishmash, right. this is what matters and this is what you can believe. Yep. See you in the morning. <laughs> and, and that's that, that, that's what it pretty much d- distills down to. Isn't it? And, I, and I hope that folks will use the media in that way. It's great to have that play-by-play, that raw data, you know, those final scores. But check with us in the in the mainstream media, the establishment media, every now and then. It was we've always we're always keeping track of the standings. <laughs> we like the we like the truth. We, yeah. we, we like to give the call truth. Us, call us crazy. We like the good news and the bad news, but there's like we don't care. We just like to tell you what's going on. Yeah, we're old fashioned um, that way. I hope that uh, in both our careers here at Sunny ninety five in Columbus, Ohio, that we still got a few years left in us. But when it all comes down and it's all said and done. My hope for you, Clark Donahue. Oh God, <laughs> Clark Donnelly. I do. I, I. I. honestly hope. I seriously hope that maybe that you'll consider going back to the written word. I think you're at a point in your life where you you might even surprise yourself as to how good it might be because much like uh, a 12 year old whiskey or a 20 year old whiskey. I think that over the years you've you've become so wonderfully seasoned that you might be cheating yourself and the public if you don't put words to paper and continue on down the line. Would it be all right if I stole some ideas from you? Absolutely. Because that's what I'm yeah. short on. Yeah, that's all right. I'll all give right, you ideas, good. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time to write it. So, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can have it. Clark Donnelly has been our guest News director here at the Columbus Radio Group and also part of the morning show, Sunny in the Morning with Dino and Stacy on Sunday Night Five. Thank you, buddy. Hey, thank you. This, this has been a honor. lot of fun. This has been an honor. For this, me. Has been, this has been great. And our guest bottle, of course, Jameson's uh, Special Reserve 12 uh, year old Irish whiskey. Did you, you finally got your, mm. your Irish Jameson's Hansberry? I polished off two and I'm thinking about maybe having a third one for the Well, road we here. got just a wee, <laughs> a wee, a wee bit dram, left. A wee dram. A wee dram in, left in, in the, the bottle. bottle. So you and I can finish it. Donnelly's got to do the news in the morning, yeah. and he's got to be fair and balanced. He's got to go check yeah. the AP. That's several hours away. I can be fair. I might not be balanced till noon. Uh, so let me say what I always usually say and try to remember but never write it down. Uh, whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production recorded with cooperation of the Columbus Radio Group. All the opinions are those of me, your host, Dino Tripotis, and my reluctant guests, and are never meant to offend, only to inform and, if possible, entertained. So thank you, Greg Hansberry, as always, my producer. And until the next bottle, people, see ya. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.